Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. This morning, if you will, I'd like for you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12, we're going to read one verse of scripture, and I'd invite you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. The scripture says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. Yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you now in the name of Jesus, asking that you would meet us again through your word. Lord, open our hearts this morning to understand, our eyes to see, our ears to hear what your message is to your church today. And Lord, help us not just to be hearers, but to be doers of the word, to act on what we hear. So give us the will, Lord, to act in obedience, to respond in the way that you're leading us. Lord, I acknowledge if anything happens today uh, that's of any significance, it's because you've done it, because your word has accomplished it. And Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever known a complainer? I see the, the smiles, I hear the chuckles, and then right now somebody's in your mind, and perhaps somebody who has left a bit of a bad taste in your mouth, kind of like the fellow that decided he wanted to serve the Lord, and in his tradition, a way to serve the Lord was to go into a monastery. So he went into the monastery. Part of the commitment was a vow of silence. In fact, the way it worked, at the end of each year, he was allowed to speak two words. The first year, he came before the leader of the, the monastery, and he said, bed hard. Went back into his cloister. The next year, he came out. Food, terrible. The third year, he stood before the leader of this monastery, and he said, I quit. And the leader said, well, that's good, because you hadn't done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> See, we think of the word complaining we, we think of the synonyms, grouching, or moaning, or griping, or whining, or nitpicking, or grumbling, or murmuring. And none of these images bring uh, a pretty picture to mind. And I want to introduce you to a few complainers that I've, I've come to know through the years. You might have met them too. One of them said, my flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and has become loathsome. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. 
Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall see no more good. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Perhaps you recognize that was the words of Job. Or how about this fellow? O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slack, and judgment does not go forth. For the wicked compasses about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Maybe you've encountered that fella. His name was Habakkuk. How about this guy? It's enough now, Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Prophet Elijah. We look at what's happening in the world around us. I think we all recognize it's very easy to complain. It's very easy to question why are these things happening. Like Jeremiah, why, why does it seem the wicked are prospering? Why does it seem that evil is prevailing? Question I want to ask this morning, and maybe you've already been intrigued by the, by the slide. I appreciate Luke's good work in putting these things together for us. But is it possible that complaining can actually be an act of worship? Now, I'm not talking about murmuring. In Hebrew, there's a difference in the words. Hebrew, the words la'on and la'en are words most often translated as murmuring, and they're associated with things like obstinacy or dwelling, or enduring, kind of staying stuck in a complaint, holding a grudge. The implication is that murmuring is something that just lingers, it just remains. It's, it's like a fog that just settles and won't lift. And usually it's transferred from one person to another. That's why murmuring is such a danger for the unity of a church. But when we cry out to God with complaint and with questions, again, crying out to God, not to one another, are we not recognizing ultimately His control over our circumstances? Is it possible that we are ministering to Him by bringing our questions to Him, recognizing who He really is and seeing our desperate need for Him? See, the Hebrew words most often translated as complaining are from a Hebrew root word that talks about grappling or wrestling or, or wrangling or pleading. If worship is an act of reverence, an act of adoration, an act of honor, if it's recognition of who God is, then is it possible that when we cry out to Him, as did Jeremiah, and as did Job and Elijah and Habakkuk and many others, could it be an act of worship? 
Could it be ministry is unto the Lord when we see him as the only source for our answers and for our help? It's interesting that the Psalms, one writer, Dave Shive, I guess maybe a mathematics background, I don't know, but he investigated the Psalms and his contention is that 15% minimum of the Psalms are complaints. Complaints. And there are nine common complaints that we see in the book of Psalms. Questions for which we plead. Questions we wrestle with. And I want you to think about it this morning. How many of these nine have you submitted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Complaint number one. God, are you sleeping? In Psalm 35, verse 23, the scripture says, Stir up yourself and awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. In Psalm 44, Lord, why do you sleep? Arise, cast us not off forever. You see, when we have the complaint or the question, God, are you sleeping? When we bring it to him with an open heart, with an honest heart, and God's not afraid of our complaints, and he's certainly not afraid of our questions, what we find is that we can be confident in his attention. I won't call his name because he's sitting here in the group, but I know a fella that a couple years back was at war with groundhogs. We're tearing up his property. And as long as he was awake and sitting out on the front porch with his rifle in his hands, the groundhogs weren't a problem. But this fella sometimes had to go in and eat, had to sleep at night, had a job that he went to, and he couldn't give his full attention to the groundhogs. You see, our God is not like that. In Psalm 121, verses 3 through 5, the Scripture tells us that he will not suffer our feet to be moved. He that keeps thee will not slumber. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need a nap. He doesn't have to go have something to eat. And his work is a work that gives our full attention to him. Behold, he that keeps Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is thy keeper. And that word keeper is a military word, like, like one who marches guard duty around his people. In 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, we find that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Proverbs 5.21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. And 1 Peter 3.12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. There are times maybe you've wondered, God, are you asleep? God, are you paying attention? And if we will come to him with an open heart, with an honest questioning, the answer comes back, absolutely, I'm not asleep and I am paying attention because my attention is on you, my people. Complaint number two. Form of a question again, God, are you doing anything? God, are you doing anything? In Psalm 9, the psalmist asked or said, Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail, and let not the heathen be judged against thy sight. 
In Psalm 10, verse 12, Arise, O Lord, and lift up your hand. God, are you going to do anything? You see my situation. I believe I have your attention, but God, are you going to intervene? God, where are you in this? And if we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what God's Word tells us, we would realize that we can not only be confident of His attention, but we can be absolutely assured of His action. In 1 Chronicles 16, verse 12, remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles, and the judgments that He has uttered. In Psalm 77, verse 14, You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. Philippians 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Psalm 103, 6, The Lord works righteousness and judgment for all who are oppressed. God, are you asleep? No, I'm paying attention. God, are you going to do anything? Well, yeah, I'm already at work. You see, when our complaints come, we turn to the Lord, we turn to His goodness, we turn to His greatness, and it may not change our circumstances right away. It may not change the situations we're facing. It may not even change the nature of our complaints. But when we come to God with an open heart, with an honest heart, recognizing Him as King of kings, as Lord of lords, when we question, when we complain, wrestling with God, it becomes an act of worship because at the end of the day, we recognize what the psalmist and so many others did. God is working. Complaint number three. God, are you there? Be not far from me, the psalmist wrote in Psalm twenty-two, eleven. For trouble is near, and there is none to help. In the same psalm, Psalm 22, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Have you ever wondered, God, are, are you really there? Are you really there? Scripture would tell us we can be confident in His presence. Luke chapter 24, Robert referred to it a few weeks ago, the road to Emmaus. As disciples were leaving Jerusalem, headed to Emmaus, they were wrestling, they were struggling, they were probably complaining. What happened? We thought He was the one that was going to deliver us. We thought He was the one that was going to bring salvation what happened? And Jesus came alongside of them. They didn't recognize him. And he said, what are you fellas talking about? Well, where have you been? Don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? How the one we thought was the Savior, the one who we thought was the Messiah, has died and, and was buried, and now they say he's not there anymore? What's, what's going on? And Jesus began to take them through the Scriptures, through all that the prophets had spoken, and finally lodged with him in that evening, and as they sat down to bread together, as he broke the bread, their eyes were open. Their eyes were opened, and they realized he was the one. He is alive. He is walking with us. And didn't our hearts burn within us? You see, in those times when we question and wonder, God, are you really there? 
Are you there in my struggle? Are you there in this pandemic? Are you there in these political situations? God, where are you? You can be confident of his presence. Because Acts 17 verse 27 says they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Kind of a picture, somebody maybe blind, just trying to, to feel his way, the, the lights out, not wanting to wake the wife up, trying to feel his way to get to a particular point. Yet the scripture continues, he is not actually far from each one of us. Jeremiah 23, 23. I'm a God at hand, declares the Lord, not a God far away. Hebrews 13, 5, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Matthew 28, 20, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. Psalm 46, verse 1, he is a very present help in times of trouble. And the very name of Jesus, one of the expressions of who he is, is Emmanuel, God with us. In those times, we wonder, God, are you sleeping? God would say, no, I'm paying attention. God, are you doing anything? Absolutely. I'm already at work in ways you can't quite see right now. God, where are you? I'm with you. I've not left you. I've not forsaken you. Lord, give us eyes to see. Complaint number four. How long, God? How long? How long is this going to go on? How long am I going to feel this? How long is this not going to be dealt with? Psalm 13, the psalmist cried out, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long? How long shall my enemy be exalted? over me. And in Psalm 90, return, O Lord. How long have pity on your servants? We come to God with that question, how long, and an open heart. You know what he's going to say? You can be confident of my timing. John chapter 11 Jesus was brought news that his friend, a dear friend, Lazarus, was very sick. He loved Lazarus. He loved his sisters, Martha and Mary. Apparently, whenever he was in Bethany, that's where he took up residence. It's where he was anointed later with the oil that was poured on his feet. But the news came, your friend Lazarus is sick. And Scripture says that Jesus delayed. He waited. And then word came, your friend Lazarus is dead. And as Jesus approached the site, it was weeping and wailing, and Martha ran. You know, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mary ran and bowed. If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus made the point, the delay was for a purpose. It was so that God's glory would be revealed. Because in Jewish theology, the soul stayed with the body for three days. And that delay gave time so there'd be no question whatsoever that Lazarus was really dead. So that when Jesus stood before the tomb and said, roll back the stone, you remember maybe the response, well, Lord, we can't do that. 
By now, the body's begun, begun to, to, to deteriorate. There's going to be a terrible smell. Roll back the stone. When Jesus spoke those words, Lazarus, come forth, he just stood up and walked out. Still wrapped in the grave clothes, he said, release him. You see, when we cry out, God, how long? How long? God may not answer, well, two more months and be settled. Just give me 24 hours and I'm going to take care of it. No. But he can tell us, you can be assured of my timing. Psalm 25, verse 3, anyone who waits on the Lord shall not be put to shame. Psalm 27, verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage, but wait for the Lord. Proverbs 20, verse 22, wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Isaiah 30, verse 18, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice and blessed are all those who wait for him. Notice there in that psalm, sometimes we wait for him, but sometimes he's waiting for us. Sometimes he's waiting for us to really turn to him, to really put our trust in him, to really make declarations of faith even before we've seen the results. God is a God who has a perfect timing. And Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Because sometimes that waiting period is meant to be a time of seeking, drawing nigh to the Lord so that He draws nigh to us. Complaint number five. H have you asked any of these questions? Number five, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? What in the world can you be doing? How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? How long is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand? Lord, you see what's going on in the world around us. You see what's happening. Why are you holding back your hand? Take it from the fold of your garment. In other words, take it out of your pocket and destroy them. You see, when we ask that question, God, what are you doing? I don't understand what's going on around me. I don't understand what's going on in me. I don't understand what my family's dealing with. What in the world are you doing? If we have ears to hear, we'll hear God's words speaking to us and saying, you can be confident in my purposes. Because Isaiah reminds us in chapter 55, your thoughts, or my thoughts rather, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God... For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And verse 29 tells us that purpose is to be conformed to the image of Christ. In Job 42 verse 2, Job cried out, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In Proverbs 16 verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. 
In Psalm 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God, what are you doing? Well, it's not really for you to know right now. If I told you right now what I'm doing, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't be able to see it. Just trust me. Just be confident in my purposes. Complaint number six. God, do you care? Do you care? Psalm 102 starts this way. It, it tells us, I mean, it sets us up. that This is a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me and answer me speedily in the day when I call. Do you care, Lord? We'd open our eyes to God's Word and our ears to His Word and our hearts to His work. We'd hear God say back to us, yes, I care. And you can be confident of my concern. After all, in Peter, he tells us to cast our cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for us. Psalm 94, 19, when the cares of my heart are many, God, your consolations cheer my soul. Zechariah 10, this picture of God as a shepherd, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock. Luke 12, 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? How many times have you blinked your eyes since you came in the house of God this morning? How many times has your heart beat? Had no idea. We, we don't even, we're not even conscious of these things. But God knows. Because even the hairs on our head are numbered and there's not one that falls away that he doesn't know it. Not that he knows one fell out, but he knows which number it was. You serve a God, we serve a God that cares more for us than we care about ourselves and is more conscious and more aware of everything about us than we are. Unless you're a creature of real habit, can anybody tell me what you had for breakfast this time last year? I can't remember what I had two or three days ago. God cares. God, do you care? You can be confident of my concern. Complaint number seven. God, don't you remember? The helpless are crushed. They sink down. They fall by his might. And the man says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up your hand and forget not the afflicted. And in Psalm 42, verse 9, I say to God, my rock. Now, isn't that a statement of faith? My God, my rock. But here's what the psalmist says to God. 
why have you forgotten me? You ever felt that? You know God is good. You know He's true. You know He's real. You know He's at work. You know He's not, not asleep. But God, why have you forgotten me? Why bless that family and, and you forgot me, Lord? Why do this over here, Lord, but you forgot about me? You see, God would tell us this morning, you can be absolutely assured of my memory. In Jeremiah 2, thus says the Lord, I remember, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. In Ezekiel 16, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish you for you an everlasting covenant. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, the Scripture says that God remembered Noah. In Genesis 30, verse 22, the Scripture says that God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. Psalm 105 for he remembered his holy promises, and he remembered Abraham, his servant. In Acts chapter 10, it's not just an Old Testament God that remembers. It is the one God, the true and living God, who in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Psalm 98, he has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. One, one of my favorite passages is Isaiah 49, verse 16, where it tells us that we are not just written in the palm of his hand, but we are carved into the palm of his hand. My, my daughter's one of those. I'll see her even now as a, as a grown woman with something written on her hand. What's that? Well, it used to be, well, that's my homework, or that's my friend's phone number. Now it's, well, that's something I need to pick up when I go to the store. Why don't you just get a piece of paper, keep it in your pocket, and write it down? I might forget my piece of paper, might lose it, but I got my hand. And God who has no memory trouble, carves our name in the palm of his hand. If you'll let me use my imagination, I picture him, God who doesn't need to remember because he doesn't forget. But just looking down the list, well, there's Greg. There's Darlene. There's Carl and Adam and Debbie. Not that he's forgotten us, but he is actively, actively remembering us. God, have you forgotten? Don't you remember? Of course. Your name is carved into my hand, and it's ever before me. Complaint number eight. God, are you reliable? God, can I really count on you? Psalm 77, the psalmist asked, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? God, are, are you really reliable? Are you really loving? Are you really steadfast? Are you really compassionate? And the Lord would speak and say, you can be confident in my character. 
Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in Christ, we see the Father. Psalm 119, verse 137, O Lord, you always do right, and your decisions are fair. All of your teachings are true and trustworthy. Malachi 3.6, we're reminded, for I am the Lord and I change not. Numbers 23.19 declares, God is not a man that should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it, or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? You see, those first eight complaints that are featured in the Psalms have something in common. If you read the entire psalm, it turns to worship. You follow Job, leads to worship. Follow Elijah, worship. But how about this final complaint? Psalm 88. I'm going to read the entire psalm. O Lord God of my salvation, recognition of who God is, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand." You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. And I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you, O Lord. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, and I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long, and they close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. And my companions have become darkness. Period. There's no turn to worship in this psalm as we see in the others. The complaint, God, I just, I can't take it anymore. I just don't think I can take it anymore. And God would speak to us very tenderly very lovingly and very gently, you can be confident in my faithfulness. See, 1 Corinthians says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We're of all people most to be pitied. This life is a fleeting thing. And if nothing ever got better in this life, there's a better life that waits us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's something better ahead of us. Titus chapter 3, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. And not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Things may not get better in this world, in this life, in our situation. But this life is not all that there is. So Hebrews 10.23 tells us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Is faithful. Praise team's coming back. As they come, I want to remind you of the premise we started with. Pouring our hearts out to God can be an act of faith, can be an act of confidence in His sovereignty as we acknowledge His power to deliver, to sustain, to carry us through our difficulties. Because if we didn't have this assurance to start with, we would be absolute fools to cry out to God. But notice though, I qualified my statement, it can be an act of worship. What really matters is the condition of the heart, the manner in which the complaint is voiced, the object of one's focus. So there's some questions we have to use in examining ourselves. First of all, do we even have the right to complain before the Lord? Isaiah 59, 2 tells us, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. John 9, 31 we know that God heareth not sinners. If you're lost this morning, if you are walking in sin, if you've not put your trust in Christ for salvation, there's only one prayer that God is obligated to hear. Because He's merciful, because He's kind, sometimes He will respond to a cry for help. And it's because Romans chapter 2, verse 4 tells us He shows us kindness to turn us to repentance. 
but there's only one cry he's obligated to hear and that is the cry of repentance create in me a clean heart oh god renew a right spirit in me lord i believe you took my place on the cross and bore my sins so that i could be free that's the message of the gospel if you're here this morning and you wonder god even listening he's not obligated to until you put your trust in him but for the rest of us we ask ourselves a question is my complaint an accusation is it blame or is it honest questioning is my complaint being voiced in reverential fear and awe of the almighty and are we asking because we're the center of our attention or because the Lord is you see remember one of Job's complaints was that God would allow suffering into the life of one so righteous as Job thought he was and God had an answer for Job and it was it was stern God asked his question who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you'll answer me Job how many stars are out there who holds these things in the palm of his hand Job can you explain the creatures that live in the deep are you the one that put them there and by the end of the day here's what Job said I've uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me because God was wonderful things which I did not know therefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and in ashes Job wasn't rebuked for his questions but he was rebuked for his attitude in questioning because it was all about Job at that point and he forgot whom he was speaking to so as to cast blame upon the Lord friends it's it's acceptable in fact I would say it's good to bring your questions to bring your cares to bring your complaints to God all those things that move us to frustration to anger but we come in the attitude of worship God I don't understand God I don't know God I'll be honest I'm, I'm not even sure if you like me anymore I'm not even quite sure I like you at the moment but you're God and you're good and you're sovereign and though you slay me yet will I trust in you as the praise team leads us in this song you'd like to sing along make it an act of worship if you'd like to bring your complaints and your questions to the Lord as an offering altars are always open